Here to score it for us is the master of disaster public relations specialist, Mike Paul. Mike Paul, known as the reputation doctor. Well, there's a court of law and there's a court of public opinion. Mike Paul is a crisis PR and reputation management expert. He's all about reputation. Got some tips on rebuilding those reputations. You first have to be transparent and then be accountable for your actions. He's got to get on a truth train right now. There's no ifs or buts in a true apology. You must speak directly to the issues that you've been involved with. You're going to have to have an across-the-board solution that is more than words, and you've got to have actions. Dominique Shelton Leipzig is the author of Trust, Responsible AI, Innovation, Privacy, and Data Leadership. She is also a privacy and cybersecurity partner at Mayor Brown, a leading law firm. While leading global data innovation, she counsels CEOs and board members on smart digital governance. She has trained over 50,000 professionals in AI, privacy, and cyber. For decades, Dominic has studied legal trends to accurately forecast digital risks and opportunities. Companies with a collective market cap of $3 trillion in U.S. dollars have benefited from her insights. Trust is Dominique's fourth, let me say it again, fourth book. Her articles include a Financial Times op-ed concerning cross-border transfers that the White House adopted. She founded the Digital Trust Summit for leaders to reimagine effective data oversight, named a diligent modern governance 100 leader and an L.A. Times legal visionary and she has won 24 awards. A board member of the AI Governance Center and the International Association of Privacy Professionals, she is certified in privacy and board governance. And Dominique is the co-founder of Next Work, dedicated to diverse leadership, especially at the corporate board level. Dominique, welcome to Reputations in Crisis. I'm so blessed to have you on the show. Mike, I'm just so thrilled that you asked me, and I'm so glad to be here with you. So let's get into it. First, I want to ask a pretty obvious question. For those who are laymen who watch this show and also need to learn a lot more about artificial intelligence, which we then call throughout the show AI, and cybersecurity, why did you name the book Trust? Why is trust in these key areas so important for an average citizen or an average consumer? So for the average citizen, trust is critical because when you think about it, you can't have any relationship, not just with technology, but with anyone, if trust is not present. Uh, this issue of trust as it relates to AI is on the minds of every CEO and board member as they're discussing this right now in Switzerland at Davos. And why is that? What, what has changed, let's say, in the past three or four years that makes this a top issue versus other top issues at Davos as early as a, just a few years ago? Yeah, you know, I was looking at uh, this year's conference and it, it, the theme of it is rebuilding trust. And when you look at the global risk report that uh, Davos published on page 50, there's a, some juicy language there. And they say that AI has risen to the top 10 risks because of downstream risks could endanger political systems, economic markets, and global security and stability. So that's why we've got to talk about trust and artificial intelligence right now. So this show is about crises. And we won't get into particular company names, but let's get into some 
various scenarios of counsel. What do you think are, let's say, the top three concerns and risks that a consumer needs to be concerned about in utilizing either artificial intelligence or concerns for their own use of cybersecurity, let's say, with everything from their credit cards to the medical reports and other important data that are in their lives? Yeah, Mike. So this is really great that consumers can control what they put into AI. And what I tell consumers is exactly what the tech companies tell them in the terms. But a lot of times people don't read those. I understand. But you shouldn't put anything into an AI, a chatbot, for example, that you wouldn't put on social media. But we know a lot of people are doing crazy things on social media. So the converse of that is we, as the experts, should be prepared for consumers doing some crazy things with AI. Um, what would be an example of a risk that could be harmful, not just to a consumer, but to a company that is developing their own tools for their own workers in the thousands, let's say, all over the world? Well, one risk is that a consumer could put in sensitive personal information into the AI. And, you know, no company is immune from data breaches and find that data out in the public, right? So uh, that's one risk. The way to solve that is to follow the terms that are on the AI tools, the big providers, right? All have language saying, don't put sensitive data into our AI chatbot. We'd appreciate that. So uh, consumers are going to need to educate themselves about how to use these tools. Uh, what In terms of the company risk, if companies do not put a usage policy out and educate their employees about it, the employees could be putting confidential business information into the tool. Let me get real basic. Let's say I'm using chat GBT or another AI tool. And... I'm curious about myself because I'm on TV and a more public person like yourself. And let's say I'm playing around with my son and say, hey, let's see what it says. And more than one Mike Paul comes up, for example. There's a baseball player by the name of Mike Paul. And I don't really understand the rules, so maybe I'll say, oh, to distinguish myself from that person, I'm going to give you proactively Mike Paul, whose birth date is XYZ, who lives at XYZ, who's worked at these various companies, and then maybe something else that's confidential and sensitive, and I give it to the tool. Are those examples of not doing the right thing and protecting myself? Or what if it's not about me and it's about somebody else and I'm putting their sensitive information? In? So as a general, uh, that is an example of the type of information that you probably want to be careful about if it includes things like your home address, your social security number, your date of birth, your credit card information, your medical information. Why? Because as I mentioned, AI is amazing. It's going to bring $7 trillion to our global economy in the next 10 years. And I use that 7 trillion with the T. So if it were one country in GDP, it would be the third largest right behind the US and China. So this is going to bring a lot of economic wealth to us. It's also going to be incredible in terms of 
curing important issues. We've got Cedar sinai here in Los Angeles that is in the midst of using AI for early detection of pancreatic cancer, literally meaning the difference between life or death. So this is so important. We've got to use uh, this information and these tools, but uh, we have to understand how they work. So first of all, um, no company is, is immune from data breaches. Everybody tries their best, but if you think about it, you have the gym and even though there's locks on their gym locker, usually there's a sign saying, you know, there's video looking at this room. However, don't leave valuables in the locker, right? Uh, why? Because there've been instances where people have gone and stolen stuff. So that's just a protective uh, effort for um, the gym so that you can protect yourself. The same thing is true with the chatbots. The companies are doing their best to protect them from cyber attacks, but what they're saying is don't put valuables like your sensitive information in there unless you're comfortable with that being public should there be, say, a breach. To echo what you just said about the number of people that are going to be utilizing the tool of artificial intelligence, um, I think some of the recent stats I read, and it's probably updated now, but ChatGBT, for example, has over 100 million users in two months. Uh, as a comparison, uh, Amazon took almost 10 years to get that number. And Google Translate, which is another powerful tool, I think took six and a half years. Um, we're going to be using this stuff, folks. So time to get educated and understand some of the things that Dominique is saying. Um, let's get a little bit more into the risks uh, of cybersecurity, for example. Um, what in 2023, we're starting a new year in 2024 now, but we can look back at 2023. What was, in your opinion, one of the top three cyber breaches in the world, just as a category, not getting into companies necessarily. And what did we learn from that or what should we have learned for that moving forward? We had 17 hospital systems that were attacked with ransomware in August here in the US as national security tensions were arising all around the world, given the wars and all that we're going through. What American companies, especially our critical infrastructure companies, need to be aware of is factoring in cybersecurity, uh, with cybersecurity, national security, because our American-based companies can be targets uh, for exploits out of Eastern Europe, um, Asia, Middle East, at, at scale when there are tensions, national security tensions around the world. So I think that was... Uh, those 17 hospital systems and people have being turned away uh, because from um, emergency rooms and not able to get in of the situation. Wow. Your book has some important tips, some important rules. When someone purchases your book, and hopefully people are going to do so after watching this show as well, what are the three walkaways, not just for them to read it, but to remember when they walk away, what are the top three things you want people to remember after reading your book, Dominic? So in trust, the most important thing I wanna communicate is that humans control data, humans control AI, not the other way around. That's 
thing number one. And I hope people, when they read the book, will be empowered by that. The second thing that I try to communicate with when it comes to AI is that proactive adoption of legislative frameworks that exist in 96 countries and six continents and are uh, agreed upon by uh, experts that create these AI models should be followed proactively now. No need to wait till the law always, I'm a lawyer and the law always takes forever to catch up. So it might be two, three years before the law is final, but what companies to protect the brand and boost innovation, adopting proactively these governance tips like a recipe is very important. The third thing that I, I communicate and I wanna be really clear here for, and this I'm speaking to our companies now, but it's also good for consumers to understand this. Models, every time you hear anything that is negative in the news about AI hallucinating or AI misidentifying or AI being inaccurate, what you need to understand is this is a normal state of the technology that models can be correct uh, uh, before you deploy them, good data going in, good data coming out, and over time, uh, for various different reasons, at some point in time, drift, meaning they move away from the goal state and then they can drift out of accuracy. So what I say to everyone is never, ever, ever leave your common sense behind. Consumers, you need to read what you're getting and verify if there are questions. Companies, continuous testing, monitoring, and auditing of your AI, dropping code into the AI tool itself with your guardrails, like a sensor on the window of, of your home for an alarm. It will tell you when the AI is drifting, but just like a sensor on your window at home. If you don't have the sensor there, your whole living room could be gone when you get home because you don't know that a burglar's come in. So the continuous testing is the only way as models drift and move that a company will be aware if the model has strayed from its guardrails. And that's something we don't talk about enough. And I hope those three points come through in the book. Dominic, just like um, in crisis management, most people who are not experts say things like, well, shouldn't there be a lot more crisis preparedness and shouldn't we be learning before we get hit over the head? Um, and of course, the answer is yes, we would love for most people to do so. But human nature, sadly, is the opposite of that. And I ask that to set up this question. Do we expect in the next couple of years for us to be learning a lot from the crises that happen to companies, consumers, medical professionals, medical institutions, um, credit card companies, banks? Don't we expect that we're going to be learning a lot from the mistakes and the crises that happen in the world through the fear of, gosh, I can't believe that happened. I've got to learn from that to make sure that doesn't happen to me. The good news is we already have a plethora of uh, use cases of crises that we can learn from. And I'm out here talking to the community uh, to try to see 
whether we can now learn from those and implement these uh, steps proactively. So we have a situation here with a retail pharmacy now in bankruptcy for misidentifying its own customers, right, as shoplifters. That's bad for business. Nothing to do with and using an AI. There was a vendor that helped an AI and so forth. But the company's brand is key. So when you're using these tools, it's not about, uh, you know, when you're dealing with health and safety, finance, our power grid, it's not about stand back and watch and, uh, and learn. It's right now we've seen instances where guardrails have not been in place. And by the way, the FTC found this particular company was not testing continuously and not doing enough testing. So let us learn from that example. Just happened December 19th. Let's do that right now. Let's not wait. Uh, there are uh, cyber attacks, deep fakes happening, um, impersonations of CEOs and boards to try to have CFOs transfer tons of money up. We don't need to keep being duped. We already know this. So what I'm out here talking about in trust are solutions so that yes, there will be crises, but we want that to, we can control how many of those are. And by proactively adopting these guardrails, high quality data, continuously testing, monitoring, and auditing, having logging data so the technical people can fix the model at the right time, humans in the loop to fix the model when it strays, and basically stop using a model if you can't fix it. Those are six practical steps to protect a brand that we can adopt right now. There's been some news reports over the years that the average consumer has probably seen that needs some review about the bias that goes into AI for people of color, for gender differences. For example, the hand dryer in the bathroom example. What was that about? So Dr. Joy Buliami talks about this in her book. This is about the AI not recognizing dark skin. And that's been an issue in AI uh, in a lot of the uh, Western countries. I will say in the Middle East, Africa, and APAC regions, the AI isn't having those problems. And in part, it has to do with the diversity in terms of the uh, team that's developing, because it's hard for them if they don't have diversity to to be able to notice, oh boy, the AI is not working with diverse skin. So, uh, but I would challenge this to um, the bias question. We do not need to sit and be awash in bias, which is bad for the brand, it's bad for society, it's bad for you know these risks that um, the World Economic Forum uh, noted in their uh, global risk report this year, bias was up there with, with AI as part of the issue. We can solve it with proactively testing, monitoring, and auditing for bias. Okay, so you're a company and you're licensing on um, an AI model and building your own application on top. There's nothing in the world stopping you. Say it's for HR to go to your EEOC person or whoever deals with bias in the company and get the guardrails that the company's already using for reporting purposes and stick that in the model. So the model knows where your risk tolerance is. If you want 33% women, 33% men, 33% gender non-conforming, et cetera, right? The model's not gonna know that. So uh, you, the guardrails need to be there. You could go down to 20 or up to 50. The guardrails need to be there so that you can be alerted when the AI is drifting outside of your specs and the human comes in and fix the model, not with bias at scale happening, but real time. It's deviated. The root human comes in, looks at the 
logging data and fixes the model and get it back on track to accuracy and fairness versus being awash in bias and finding yourself in bankruptcy and consent decrees and testifying before Congress. Well, to that point, um, you're involved with a nonprofit organization called NextWork that you're a co-founder along with some other powerful women of color. The leadership of a corporation starts at the board level, not at the CEO level. A lot of people who are laymen don't even understand that difference. And the examples that we were just discussing could be highly impacted by the right people being in the room, not just for the creative team with the assumptions being built in for AI, but the overall leadership globally of that company or regionally of that company, which starts with the board of directors. Tell us a little bit about next work. Tell us about the importance of governance at the corporate level and some of the messages that you're giving clients today and consumers about how important that is. Thank you for asking me that question, Mike. Uh, next work is just near and dear to my heart. Um, we founded the organization with my two co-founders for precisely uh, right after the uh, murder of George Floyd. We looked around and saw so many corporations looking for diverse leadership in the C-suite and in the boardroom. And we looked around at our network and we realized uh, we, we knew those women. We knew those people of color that are accomplished, that are sitting in their power, and that could really add value and perspective in the boardroom. So we founded the organization, it's a nonprofit, and uh, we have placed uh, now our third board member. Um, so very excited about that. That's just uh, new news. Uh, our chief marketing officer um, has become a board member. Uh, but we, you know, we're excited about all that we can change and build. And you're absolutely right, Mike. It just takes one voice in the room to say, how are we doing, say on an issue like AI? How are we doing on our risk ranking of AI? Do we have any high risk use cases happening? Uh, how are we doing on our continuous testing, monitoring, and auditing? Are we sure we're including our, our biased guardrails? That's just a question that could be posed to the CEO at any board meeting, starting, you know, for any board members listening, starting your next board meeting or even an email to the uh, audit committee chair or the, the head of the board. Dominique, I want to interject by saying this. Next work is not like a lot of other organizations out there. So for example, the mission is not just to place more women of color onto corporate boards. There are women that you know in the dozens who have managed the amount of money that doesn't start with a B, it starts with a T, trillion. Explain that difference. So, you know, it's, the, the difference is we want women in the group that will not go along to get along, but actually speak up and add their voice and add their perspective. The women in our group have a demonstrated history of mentoring, of uh, adding their voice, being heard. And that's very important to us because we want to make sure that the women that we do place on boards are not uh, attempting to just um, go along to get along, but actually add their important voice and perspective to the dialogue. And have experience working with some major corporations, either directly or counseling, in high market cap 
industries around the world, which is a nice way of saying they, we exist. They're leading teams and leading P&L in uh, companies with market cap of over $4 trillion. So I'm so excited about our members who are diverse women and their accomplishments. You've got something special coming in March, an important conference at Brown. Tell us a bit about that, Dominique. Yes, I founded the Digital Trust Summit last year. I'm an alum of Brown University, and President Paxson and also one of the fellows of the Watson Institute, Professor Ari Gabinet, allowed me to present a proposal to bring our CEO and board member community together for a Davos-like discussion for a day long on solutions as it relates to digital trust. And that's what we call it, Digital Trust Summit. Uh, we realized that many of our CEOs and board members are not technical people, but nevertheless, data is their most important asset and they need to discuss for non-technical people to lead over a technical asset. And we got a you know really a long way last year. Uh, the CEO of Bank of America participates, uh, Brian Monahan. He's our keynote. But I'm really excited about the lineup of people that we have joining him. That's terrific, and I look forward to seeing you there. What are some of the other aspects of your book that we need to highlight for the average person who's going to go out and buy it? Give us a tip that will make them want to run to the store or run online to purchase the book? The tip is that we are in control of how AI plays out, every single one of us. It's either going to be a wonderful story with great results, curing cancer, tightening our education, elevating education for our students so they can learn just the way that they precisely can understand for individualized learning. We're almost there. Mike, so it's exciting, but there are risks. And if we don't take a proactive approach to dealing with these risks, we're gonna see the risks at scale taking place like popcorn. So I'm excited for the steps that consumers can take to protect their data by not putting sensitive data into the models. And I'm excited for the steps that companies can take to continuously test, monitor, and audit, put their guardrails in so they'll know when the model drifts just the same way they know when the windows open uh, at their home when they're not there. One additional question um, to follow up on that. So I think of many of us that are around my age now, and we're not only uh, managing our, our young families, but we're also managing our parents. Um, and many of them struggle with technology. Uh, they're afraid. They don't have a lot of information uh, that they are focused on, even though we try to remind them how important these things are today. Um, but my mom, my mom's in her 80s now. I'm constantly concerned about data breaches. I'm constantly concerned about a voice that can be mimicked and sound exactly like mine, that I need help and, you know, please send me something. I don't have access to my account right now. What are some of the tips that you can give seniors regarding, they hear cybersecurity, they hear terms like data, but they don't even hear those two terms and think that's something they have to be focused on. 
Give me three tips for seniors, just in general, that they should really be focusing on as though you're talking to a member of your own family. Yes. So for our senior community, all of this comes down to communication. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we have criminals out there that now using AI at scale can uh, mimic your son, his voice, his image, and finding a safe word between the two of you as a family is one way to protect against those criminals. Something that you like to do, your code could be, where do you like to golf? Are you going over to the golf course? And it's like, oh, I'm going over to Rolling Green or whatever. That's, but you need to communicate as a family about what our safe words are going to be because the criminals might look and sound just like you. Uh, B, you need to have a frank conversation that there are uh, criminals trying to extract money from people that will say, the grandson is kidnapped. Uh, Mike is kidnapped, right? So before mom, you deploy any capital and send anything, wire anything anywhere, this is where you need to text me or this is where you need to call me and wait to hear from me back, okay? And that's very critical because there are these scams that are happening to um, and are threatening our seniors. The other thing that uh, our senior community needs to understand, especially now with chatbots being prevalent and uh, there's uh, the chatbot friends and companions, uh, the seniors shouldn't be talking about their medical conditions with a chatbot. Okay, um, and 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 the kids either, you know, frankly, and, and frankly, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't either, uh, Mike, because the issue is that they're not trained as doctors or medical providers. So if you're you know, communicating with a tool in your doctor's environment, that's different. But if you're going to jump onto any of the commercial tools out here on the internet and ask a medical question, um, that's not a good idea. Because as I talked about, sometimes the AI can hallucinate, make up the wrong answer, give you the wrong medication. One company found their AI who wasn't trained on something was giving the wrong medication advice to people. You don't want to uh, take necessarily the wrong advice. And then the last thing, I know I, you said three, but I'm gonna give the last four. Never, ever, ever, ever leave your common sense behind. If it doesn't sound like something, mom, I have ever asked you to do, that's your trigger to go use the safe, you know, safety word or text me on the safety line and make sure. Okay. That's what I would say. Dominique Shelton Lipzig, the author of Trust, Responsible AI, Innovation, Privacy, and Data Leadership. Thank you so much for being on Reputations in Crisis. Let's hope that our listeners and viewers will buy your book, learn before they get in crises, and uh, continue to learn on a daily basis. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. This week's t-shirt is Muhammad Ali, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. He recently had another birthday, He's passed. May he rest in peace. We had another champion on the show today, Dominique. Two great people, two great champions. That's our T-shirt of the week.
My rep doc opinion about this week's show, first of all, Dominique, what an amazing expert. Thank God we have her out there to go into the technical, go into the legal, break it down in a layman-like way for us to understand. The bottom line is no tool will ever fully replace a human. Make sure that you're still involved and use your head and not just your desires while utilizing these important tools, not just as a consumer, but as companies that are developing their own uses to make sure they're thinking from an ethical and moral and professional and legal perspective in doing so. Thank you so much for being with us again on Reputations in Crisis. And remember, less head work, more heart work, peace. And please follow our show on YouTube and also our podcast audio version on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We'll see you soon. Thanks again.